Welcome to the Brand Design Masters podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now, here's Philip. Before we jump into the show, I want to let you know that my signature course, Brand Strategy 101, is now open for enrollment inside the Brand Design Masters Academy. This is a foundational course for creative professionals and entrepreneurs who want to get started with brand strategy so you can sell bigger projects, increase your fees for the creative work you already do, and get paid for the thinking and advice you've probably been given away for free. The moment you enroll, you get immediate lifetime access to seven modules of training with over eight hours of instructional videos, 25 lessons in all, plus 24 downloadable strategy tools and conversation guides. In Brand Strategy 101, I've taken complex strategic methodologies used by the world's most respected global branding agencies and crafted them into a deceptively simple turnkey process and toolkit that you can use with your clients, even if you've never done brand strategy before or don't know where to start. Brand Strategy 101 draws from my 25 years of experience working with clients ranging from entrepreneurs to small to medium-sized businesses all the way up to the Fortune 100. So if you're ready to up your game and bulletproof your career and protect your business from the downward pricing pressure of sites like Fiverr and Upwork, then Brand Strategy 101 is the place to start. Just go to philipvandusen.com slash BS101 and enroll in Brand Strategy 101 today. Again, just go to philipvandusen.com slash BS101 and enroll now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Brand Design Masters podcast. I'm your host, Philip Van Dusen, and today I am super excited because I am here with Stephanie Carter of Diverse Media. Stephanie's the founder of Diverse Media. She was a formerly a general partner of the growth equity firm ABS Partners and is the wife of the former Secretary of Defense under President Obama, Ash Carter. At ABS, Stephanie was responsible for raising $1.6 billion for the firm's funds, creating its investor relations function, and leading all marketing, event, and investment research activities. In support of the Department of Defense, she advocated for military families and veterans and was awarded the Distinguished Public Service Award by the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in 2017. And with that, I welcome Stephanie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So amazing background. And uh, for my listeners who are mostly creative entrepreneurs and um, creative professionals, I want to just kind of posit your appearance because you've had an incredible background in private equity, but you've made this pivot in the last couple of years to a brand new brand. And that is going to be the majority of the focus of our conversation today, because I think it's going to be very instructional for um, our audience. So why don't you give just kind of broad brushstroke to the bio around your your past, just to put us in context of, of the verse as we go forward. So when I was working at ABS Capital, I was in effect content curating, um, content producing, and brand producing for the firm, um, you know, you have very little ways to distinguish yourself because every other firm has money and says they'll be your partner for growth. And so, you know, we had to really bring that to life. And so I think it's a hugely important part of that world. But that did make me understand that what I really loved was creating things, curating things, and um, doing writing and, and sort of also, I had a big team that I was coaching and I loved that as well. And um, I was sort of hitting my head on the ceiling. I had risen up to one of the, the most senior partners and pretty much had my run of the place. And so no complaints there, but there just wasn't anywhere else to go. And I think people don't really get told that when you're doing all this striving, right, to get to the top of the mountain, that you might actually get there and there might not be another mountain. And so you've got to kind of think about what you want to do. And for me, I'm not a sit around and sort of (laughs) collect a check girl, but, um, you know, I just felt like I wanted to start something new. And um, as you know, because you are along for the, the ride, 
um, as I started thinking about what I might do, I thought I was going to go into sports or entertainment, two fields that I love, and sort of do some of the same things. Um, but it really made me think that when I met with people, and I had a great network, and I was able to get in front of a lot of really good people, they had no idea what to do with a 50-year-old experienced executive. And that was kind of a light bulb moment for me. And I just said, wow, there's just really no one out here talking to people that are now realizing real time that they may have another career, another couple careers left in them, and that this stretch of their life is going to be different than how their parents lived it. And that led me to the verse. So So you found yourself in this particular position and realized, hey, there must be a lot of other people feeling what I'm feeling, this pivot point in your career. And so you decided to essentially create a brand around that for those people. And so your initial thoughts about the verse, what were you thinking that you were going to be? um, And these, I guess, were, was it women or was it women and men? Are they all midlife folks? And what were you thinking originally that you were going to be offering them? Originally, I was just going to focus on women because I know them best. Um, I, you know, when I built the brand, I purposefully never made it one way or the other. Um, I always wanted to leave that door open for myself. And just to say, I, I had this hunch, but it also was backed up by research, just that there was white space in the market and that, you know, in if you take the U.S., for example, people over 50 hold 75% of the wealth and yet 10% of advertising is focused on them. So that seemed like a business opportunity as well. But I, it was originally going to be women and it was going to be how, how we kind of navigate uh, this period of our lives. And that has multitudes. So that's everything from how you're going to live. Are you going to downsize? That's um, career standpoint. Are you going to take another career? Are you going to maybe go back to learning something? Are you going to, um, you know, give of yourself? I I mean, one thing I can universally say is people are generally looking for more meaning at this stage Mm -hmm. of their life. Um, And, you know, just every issue. And then I actually just wanted there to be some sort of media property that was written from the standpoint of people that know some shit. Um, and you know, I don't begrudge them this, but most of our media, most of the content we consume is squarely directed and written for and by millennials and Gen Z. And I get it. They're big cohorts and we never shade any other generations, but there's just a different way that, that we write at the verse, um, it, that presumes uh, a sort of shared wisdom at this point. So that's how, but I thought it was going to be for women, and um, this excellent guy, Philip, told me to look at my MailChimp analytics. So our signature property is a newsletter that comes out every other week, um, and our hope is to expand on, on other things. But for now, it's the newsletter. And when I looked at MailChimp, 40% of our readers, I mean our readers that were clicking through and reading, um, were men. Um, Largely because I had ported a lot of my former, you know, network into our mailing list, but they were actually reading it. And, you know, men have this very same issue, right? And they're maybe going to have it a little bit worse and not to overgeneralize, but they, their socialization has been very grounded in their career as identity, whereas women, you know, tend to be, um, you know, if they're, if they're a mother, they kind of lead with that. Um, you know, they ha- are used to having more multitudes to them um, in their socialization. And so, you know, really, if we're feeling lost, w- I definitely thought the men in our lives were going to be feeling lost as well. And it's it's just really interesting. So full disclosure for, you know, what Stephanie started off her last answer mentioning my name. And I worked with Stephanie to develop the Verse Media brand from the ground up, but I don't want people to hear about it from my perspective. I'd love to hear um, from you when you thought, okay, hey, I'm this, I'm this senior executive coming out of the, the private equity world. I'm going to start a lifestyle or a or a, a a life stage pivot brand. Yeah. Um, what did you think? 
what did you think? What did you think? Oh, what do I have to do? What do I do first? Like, how do I go about this? Like, how do you even start? I mean, and the reason I'm bringing that up is because a lot of the people who are listening do this for people. They develop brands for people. Yeah. So I'd love people to hear from your perspective where you were in your head and what you were thinking I needed to do first. Well, I I had a really rough concept of it. Um, and I sort of, I, I knew, I think I knew that I wanted an, a newsletter to be part of it. It's something, newsletters are something I enjoy. Um, and, you know, there's an excellent book um, called do send or open it, but it's, you know, about newsletters and their efficacy that actually people read them a whole lot more. And, um, so I kind of knew that at the jump, but I think for me, I'm a highly visual person and that makes things real for me. So I think for me, um, some of the initial part, I thought if I build something cool, they'll come, right? Mm. That it, it doesn't matter if it's centered on age or any gender or anything. It, it's got to be cool and it's got to be something that I would want to engage with. Um, and, you know, you and I have shared several people who are decidedly uncool in their offerings for this age. And I think that's just a real miss because I wanted people to say, you know, we say at the verse, it's only halftime, right? I'm a big sports fan and I really feel that way. And we wanted people to kind of have a little bit of that swagger. Like it's only halftime, baby. Like I'm going to be out there and I'm going to be doing stuff and it's going to be cool. So that was really important for me. But I, I do think that in developing it, probably one of the most essential things we did was just at the jump to kind of lay out some loose concepts of what it could be, what the offerings could be, what the audience would look like and um, where we were trying to go. And then we did some mapping of competition really to find the white space. And actually uh, we did that maybe in 2017 or 2018 and it's still held up. Um, and, and we are, you know, exploring the white space that we sort of discovered, even though, you know, none of these markets stays steady. So I think that was really grounding. But from there, just me personally, how I operate, I wanted something that I could see and feel. And so I think then we quickly moved on to um, the name and kind of colors and what the what the properties would be and what, what we'd want people to say about us. Um, and then the name, um, the naming process was great. I would say if any of the people listening are getting involved in naming, if you are putting forward names that are um, where the person can't get URLs or, and you haven't really done any discovery about it being in light use and you haven't kind of thought about it um, and thought about how, uh, how it can be perceived, you know, there's really funny SNL skit with Nicolas Cage where they're trying to think of a name for their child and you got you guys can just google it but um you know they keep thinking of every name you know then people are going to nickname them this but people don't think about that and you know certainly when I saw our companies that we were invested in go through rebrands I mean one of them wasted a year because they couldn't get the URL for the name they picked mm. and they had to go right back into the naming process. So um, first and foremost, you know, the name, I, I think you remember, I was struck by it right away. I loved all the different iterations. And I think people should think about giving names that have a lot of places to go. So there was the idea of a continuation that we write verses and verses are continuing. There's the idea in music um, that the verse is, um, where you learn something new, right? Whereas the chorus is repeated. Um, there was the idea of the universe and, you know, that we were kind of pioneers and exploring this whole different thing. So I, I think people should really think about how a name can play across the board and how it can be hit in a bunch of different places. Cause fast forward, we've been able to capitalize on a lot of the wordplay that came from all those different iterations. Um, 
so that was that was hugely important to get a name and and i remember we really quickly got the urls um we didn't quite get the exact url but it was fine it was absolutely fine um and then i think we went to to logo and color and and um that took us kind of meeting in person to to turn one word on on its on its head and and realized that was what we needed. But the other thing, I think people, you really have to fight a lot of sameness out there. I didn't want the verse to feel like anything else. And, um, you know, if you go to our site, www.theversemedia.com, you can see our everything from our photography, our illustration um, is, is pretty different. But right away, I didn't want it to look like anything else. Um, we landed on the colors pretty quickly. I wanted something that was joyful and a little bit maximalist. And again, um, we're still working off those same colors and design guide and pho- photography direction, et cetera. Um, so it's definitely lasted the, the test of time. But um, I think people are thinking, you know, we're getting so much sameness because everything is on Instagram and the internet and because of you know, great services like Squarespace and everything that have a lot of template design. And that is really nice and it makes things cheaper and useful. But I think people are thinking too much of logos only being type. Um, And we really wanted to have a visual element. And if you think about it, a visual element's even more primed for the digital world that you're going to know that mark from afar and where that little mark came from was actually playing with kind of sportswear of the 70s and 80s. Think about Aless, Adidas, you know, these things that have a, a mark. And so that was something we wanted to highlight. But I would also, um, you know, speak to uh, the designers that are listening or watching, you know, really don't just go for type these days, you know, try to come up with a visual element because again, there's a lot of play that you can do in that. And, you know, to me, the the true test is, does your logo look good in black or white? And ours really does. Um, I love it in its, all its colorful glory, but it really does look good in black and white. And again, it's just been high use because of that, where sometimes we can use the mark, sometimes we're just using, you know, the type. Um, but I think, think about a digital world where, you know, almost if you think about an app or something, it's like, can you spot it from a mile away? And to me, that advocates for putting a digital, uh, a visual element into it. And I, I would, I would encourage people to go look at the Versus um, website and even Stephanie's feed on LinkedIn. She's done an amazing job in incorporating visual elements into her photography, and she tries to do original photography when at all possible. But she's developed a, a, a stylized visual kind of overlay of illustration, which is really, really unique and very striking. And I think Stephanie's point is really well taken in the fact that there is so much boring stock photography and so much really boring stock illustration these days that everything is really starting to look the same. And that's where I think that the verse has really um, exceeded in um, establishing a visual impact, which is very unique and very recognizable. And as people know, I'm always beating the recognized, remembered and revered kind of drum. And uh, I think you can totally recognize your brand when you come across it. So congratulations on that. And I know that, you know, I'm not the one who developed the illustration style that was kind of done after we'd finished our branding. Um, But, but that was, that was really great. Well, one of the products though we did produce was sort of this brand guide that anyone that I'm starting to work with that I pass it off to them and they really get the joke right away. And I think that has helped me get such great and original stuff. I would also say the other issue with stock, and especially for the audience I'm pointing at, if you think about it these days, we want to be extra helpful um, (laughs) and extra thoughtful about our stock photography because, you know, we really want to make sure that we're presenting diversity, but the one and, you know, plenty of stock photography companies have gotten onto that and I feel like have upped um, their stores of, you know, people of color and, you know, just a lot of diversity except for age. 
if you look for someone that is 50, 50s, you are going to get a picture of someone, uh, a young person helping someone in a nursing home with their iPad or it is really, really appalling. And, you know, to the point where I've, I haven't really had a choice about original photography. Mm. Um, and sometimes I don't really have a choice about, I would love to show more people than I, than I actually show in some of our photographs because, it is just absent. I mean, I've thought about is another business versus stock that we start building um, a store of photography because it's it's really really bad. I mean, I'm 52, knocking on you know in one month I'll be 53. This is what it looks like. I mean, I haven't done anything special to myself, <laughs> you know, and um, you know I'm kind of lucky I don't. Uh, I, I wish I had beautiful silver gray hair, but I actually don't. My hair is very fine and my, my mom doesn't even at age 80. So there isn't a good picture of, of, what, of what this looks like. This episode of the Brand Design Masters podcast is sponsored by Bring Your Own Laptop. BYOL.me is a top tier Adobe application video training website featuring Daniel Scott. Daniel's a certified Adobe trainer and keynote speaker at the Adobe Max conference every year. At byol.me forward slash Philip, you can learn everything from the basics to advanced aspects of your favorite Adobe applications, all for one low monthly subscription fee. Visit byol.me forward slash Philip, P-H-I-L-I-P. Again, that's byol.me forward slash Philip. I just know you're going to be amazed at Bring Your Own Laptops courses. So let's back up just a little bit. So you got the idea for the verse and we developed the brand identity and all that sort of stuff. How, When you had that idea, you thought, okay, this makes sense to me. How did you, um, you know, authenticate or, or reconfirm the stickiness of that idea with who your intended target was going to be? How did you do that? Well, I did... Um have you do a little light research. You know, I'm a big fan of perception audits and, you know, people really, uh, they get very into surveys and very broad research. But um, even when I was running ABS's brand, I would do perception audits. And I think those are the most revealing, like can Mm. the people closest, you know, and by the way, it's about perceptions. I'm not trying to get you know, statistical data, right? I'm trying to get perceptions. And so I used to do those a ton or have someone do them. Um, And I found even if you just had like, you know, 30 people around you, if they couldn't articulate your strengths, I mean, the perceptions, the stronger perceptions would bubble to the top, right? Mm. So you'd learn a lot from that. And by the way, when I was presenting it to my partners, you know, it's easy to argue with statistical data and numbers. It's really hard when you put a sentence in front of them and it's like, well, someone said that, right? That's how they feel. So I think we took a similar approach in that you conducted interviews with, um, you know, a group of, of my friends and acquaintances that are all around this age. Um, you know, and, and I think we glean some important insights from that. And the number one, um, which, you know, is not surprising because this is how I am, but the number one is there are challenges at this age, right? There are, there are several challenges, but the people that like me or that I'm trying to reach don't see them as problems. They think of problems as something you solve not as something that daunts you or uh, so, you know, kind of a lot of the rhetoric again at this age, especially for women is like, oh, you're invisible and you're this. And, Mm. and, you know, it really helped us to nail like nobody's feeling this way and they don't, yes, they have questions and challenges that are coming with this age, but they see those as things to take action on. And so that has flowed through, right? Dive into any one of our articles and it's about taking action. It's not about, um, you know, 
ruminating on a problem and, uh, you know, kind of being overwhelmed by it. I mean, and that's not to say like, yes, of course we have overwhelm and of course there are things that suck. And of course ageism is rampant. Right. But, um, I think it's particular of Gen Xers that, um, part of the benefit about being latchkey kids was we had to figure stuff out. And so I think that's our orientation um, for a lot of us is, okay, like I see the problem and like, tell me how I can figure it out. So we really try not to write something and leave people without action. But again, that flowed straight through from kind of that original research, which was kind of perception oddity. But I mean, it you're never going to know everything. You just got to be pointed in a direction. And my thought is if I can't convince like the 25, um, you know, at the time it was women, it'd be interesting to actually do again now that we've kind of opened it all up. But, you know, if I can't convince the 25 women, you know, that this is a good idea or this is important or take their feedback about what they're really looking for, then, you know, what am I doing? And so I think people get way too caught up in doing, you know, look, if you have a consumer product, you can go right down to the shelf with that, right? And you can see how many, you know, we're, we're kind of awash in data right now, and we're sort of lacking knowledge and insight. And so I think, I think people get too precious about, um, oh, you know, and I, I'm sure this is true for a lot of people that, you know, are watching this. And, you know, if you're, especially if you're working in an agency, you know, client, I want to see data, I want to see data. And, you know, sometimes that's just not that helpful, right? Sometimes intent is really helpful. Sometimes perception is really helpful and data can't help you with that. And I always found, again, because I was in a field where it's really hard to do that, it's not a consumer product, whether someone's doing a deal with you or not. I always found the perceptions, what someone said, you just can't argue with that, right? So I think, I think you know, especially when you're starting something, you're looking to get oriented, you're looking to get pointed in a direction. But, you know, for as much as I'm uh, an ENTJ, a Capricorn, a type A person, um, you know, I think you just got to leave your mind open and be prepared to um, hear what you're going to hear. But I don't, I don't know that you have to have reams of data to, to get the point. So you had developed your brand, you'd validated your idea. Then how, how, did you, how did you bring yourself out to the world? What was your coming out party? What was the first thing you did in terms of developing content or engaging your audience? What did you do? Well, we did a little tease of doing a landing page and sending that out to our contact list and getting on social and, you know, just kind of doing a, a pretty nine and, and, you know, kind of getting people intrigued. But the first thing we did was have an event and it was actually oversold. It was great, but I mean, mostly my friends and contacts, but we'll take it. Um, but the idea of the in-person event, it was in DC 20. The idea was really to just um, expose people to the type of content that they maybe, um, you know, were going to get from us. Mm. And our first newsletter had gone out that morning. Um, and it was, a, it was really great. And it was great for people to, you know, we had lots of nice little touches and everything. And then the very next thing that I was going to do, um, you know, besides launching more of a real website and starting on the path of delivering a newsletter every other week was I was supposed to speak at South by Southwest in March of 2020. Um, and um, I was going to be on a panel called 50 is the new 30 with some other people that were building businesses for Gen X. Um, and actually the organizers, because they can see on South by Southwest who saved what sessions in their potential schedule, um, had already had so much interest in the, the panel that they basically had asked, had come back and asked us if we could do a second run of it. So wow. I was super excited about that. Although, you know, I really, to be clear, I hadn't done anything yet <laughs> that was worthy of, um, of South by Southwest. So, um, but, 
no matter. But anyway, uh, yeah, like the week before South by Southwest, I was like, what? Like, are we really going to be canceling things? Yep, really are. So, so COVID uh, hit you. COVID, COVID hit me. And, um, you know, I think that's been really great because it sort of, uh, you know, forced me to be very uh, agile about what we were talking about, because, you know, we couldn't just go on to like, what's your, you know, your next career going to be? And, you know, what color is your parachute when people are kind of in survival mode? Mm -hmm. And so um, the thing that I sort of said at that time was, let's just be helpful. Like, can we be helpful? Can we help um, inch people forward a little bit more, a little bit more? And, um, you know, I'm just writing sort of our new year issue right now. And finally, you know, after, you know, we're coming up on two years, like it was just the anniversary of when they had the first case in Wuhan. Um, you know, finally, I think I'm saying to myself and, you know, I kind of always take the approach. I'm, we're not an aspirational brand, right? I'm mm. right along, I'm right along with you. I'm, maybe five feet in front of you. And I can tell you to watch out for that rock or, but I'm, I'm on the hike with you and I'm just telling you what I've learned. And so that's kind of the point of view from which I write, but I am saying to myself as much to everybody else that um, it is time, even if a little bit premature to make the move from pandemic to endemic. This is part of our lives. And for as many pronouncements we've all been making about the new normal, the new normal, we haven't really settled into this being normal. And there is this sort of suspended animation quality to our lives right now. You know, my friend calls it, we're living as soon as lives, right? Like as soon as this, as soon as that. Um, this is this is how life I think is going to be more or less, right? Um, you know, I think that's why you haven't seen maybe just pure exhaustion. You haven't seen people um, lose their minds over, um, except for trying to pronounce Omicron. But, um, you know, the you haven't seen people lose their minds partially because we're still learning what it means. But I think partially because I think for most of us, if we've gotten vaxxed, we've gotten boosted. I, I mean, there's not a lot else that we can control. And so... I'm reminding myself to why I started the verse and, and, and really to go back to that place. And it's not like we've been doing all, you know, COVID all the time. You can't be divorced from the times in which you're living. But at the same time, I think, um, you know, I think it's been good and it's, it's tested me at times in terms of, you know, having the energy to push forward. But um, I think it's time to, to actually make that move for, for all of us. And, and we're probably in a lot better place to make it because I think we all have a better sense of what's really meaningful. And that's something that you're um, assessing at this stage of life anyway, right? And I think that has all given us, um, everybody, not just our generation, given everybody the chance to um, think about that. And, you know, I think that's, why you're seeing the great resignation, the great reshuffle. Um, but I think, you know, for a lot of people, actually, um, COVID hastened them into retirement. Yeah, so um, some, by, some by, you know, not their choosing, some by their choosing. Now, chances are many of you listening might have first come across me via my YouTube channel. Building my presence on YouTube has done more to build my personal brand than any other platform. So I want to share with you the one resource that was critical in growing my channel. It's a YouTube plugin called TubeBuddy. TubeBuddy is a freemium browser extension that you use to manage and optimize your YouTube channel videos. It saves a massive amount of time doing the mundane tasks like adding cards and managing your video descriptions. But it also provides incredible value through its video analytics, showing you data about your competitors' videos that's absolutely invisible without it. It also helps with adding metadata to your videos so they show up better in search. If you want to take your YouTube work to the next level, you have to get TubeBuddy. 
You can support this podcast by signing up through our affiliate link. Just go to tubebuddy.com slash philipvandusen. It's easy to remember. Just type in tubebuddy.com slash philipvandusen to check it out. By adding TubeBuddy to your video workflow, I guarantee you your channel will grow much, much faster. Just go to tubebuddy.com slash philipvandusen and sign up for TubeBuddy today. And because you have your finger on the pulse of this cohort that COVID obviously brought into very widespread effect, this reconsideration of what's important in life or this reevaluation of what your professional life is as, as it relates to your your personal being. Have you seen, um, as a result of this great resignation and COVID and this kind of incredible you know, kind of rock that's been put in front of all of us, have you seen... Um, a heavier focus on this pivot that the verse addresses? Yeah, I have. I mean, or at, at the very least, a realization that, um, and I'm, I'm going to speak here to knowledge workers because that's who I know and am, am kind of in touch with. Um, you know, I think we could get into a whole bunch of different issues for people that are working in the service industries and, and other things. But just speaking for knowledge workers, I think there was kind of already a feeling and it was something I was feeling. Um, it's pretty unfulfilling in, in, a, in a way. I think that, um, you know, we spoke uh, at The Verse and it's honestly our top performing article this year. We spoke to Anthony Klotz, who is the person that coined the Great Resignation. And he was saying this, that companies are really missing the boat on purpose-driven leadership to remind you why what you're doing actually matters in the world. Mm. And that's probably been made worse during COVID because everyone feels like they've been firefighting. But there is kind of this, like, What's why? The, the meaning of life, the meaning of work. Yeah, what's, what's the meaning of work? Uh, yeah. Is my life too centered on it? Has my life been too centered on it? I mean, I would just speak for myself that I actually, <laughs> I couldn't have predicted this, but I was kind of ahead of the curve because I was kind of feeling like, is what else, it, is there anything left? Like, mm. And then kind of getting away from it. And I have told other friends who have, have left um, their careers in, in the same industry. Um, it's going to take you two years really to wash that out of your system. The mm. whole um, being on all the time and being on your email and, you know, email is like such a scourge and <laughs> it's just awful. But, you know, this whole feeling of like, oh, I've got to return this, you know, I've got to return this email at 10 o'clock at night. And it's like, we're not curing cancer, right? It was just a business and it was important to me. And I, and, you know, I don't devalue what all my former partners do, but I mean, it wasn't that important. And so I try to say to people that are still in it, like, you know, when you finish, you're not gonna, your legacy is not going to be that you returned an email at 10 o'clock at night, right? Like that's ridiculous. But it's honestly taken me that long. It was almost like I had an appendage missing that I was like, wait, something must be wrong. Cause I was so used to that kind of adrenaline filled, um, mm. you know, kind of, you know, workism. And there's a lot of discussion about this right now because I think people are wondering what's the meaning of what they do and how does it contribute? And, and are there other things, are there other ways of contributing, right? Um, I was just listening to a woman who has been really great on this topic, but she was saying that a lot of people are finding that without the commute and without the distractions of their office, you know, this is setting aside people that I really feel for with childcare issues and, and other things. But a lot of people are finding that their work can be done, their deliverables can be done in 25 hours, not 40 hours, right? And without a commute. And, you know, there's this real tension because I think the workplaces are saying, well, you got to come back to the office. And, you know, they really have very little data to say what happens in the office. And again, they're missing the moment to articulate to people what and and make a solid case with facts what they believe 
uniquely happens in the office and kind of make the office for that. And, you know, so many people are having, um, you know, and this is not my thought, this is, this is some, what some of the people are studying. They're having the worst of both worlds. They're being called into their office to be on Zooms. So <laughs> they're, they're having the worst of the office and the worst of work from home, right? And, and I think people don't really know what hybrid work or work from home looks like because this has been work from home under duress, mm-hmm. right? And, and, um, and circumstances, again, going back to people that have a uh, child and, and, and like, um, so yeah, I think it, I think people in my cohort in particular to land the plane here are, are really taking a second look at, at what they're doing and, and what's meaningful about it. So you got out of the gate with, uh, a, a live event and email in your website. And so what have you been doing in terms of growing your brand and what's, what's worked for you and what have you had to pivot in the verse? Uh, I will say, um, and this was as a result of a session that you had set up, I would say uh, LinkedIn is really working. You know, Instagram is visual and so I'm highly attracted to it. And we do get a lot of traffic from Instagram, so I don't want to discount that. Um, But it is a, a very hard place to break in. I mean, of course, they've made some changes recently where you can... Um, link whether you have 10,000 followers or not. But, um, you know, it's just kind of a cheesy place of like, you know, you can really do a lot of jerky things to get a ton of followers, but they won't be any of the people that you want to follow Mm. you. And we have a high open rate and I want to maintain that to a degree. And so I think LinkedIn is like the, you know, old shampoo commercial, like you have two friends and they tell two friends. And Mm. it's much easier to kind of target the people that are like the people that already read the verse. And it's also been a great place for me to be able to connect with people like Anthony Klotz and like ask him if he'll do an interview with us. So, I mean, on that front, we're punching way above our weight. And so I think redoing my own personal LinkedIn profile, as well as redoing our company one to really um, optimize for LinkedIn and and recently have, you know, turned on creator mode. That's really been working for us. But, um, you know, so social is, is vexing, right? Because you got to play the game. But, you know, so that has been working. And I think, um, you know, we have done a couple virtual things that I think you know, have been well received. And so I'm trying to think about, I'm kind of a perfectionist. So I only want to do those in the way that, you know, can are really good. And, you know, I, I probably overly concentrate Am I delivering value and um, I probably overdo it. But, um, you know, we did a session in June of 2020 that's actually using military planning that I got from my husband. I heard my husband on a call And it was really about planning backwards, right? That um, when you have high uncertainty, you need to plan backwards. And so the best um, example I can give of that is um, when we did D-Day in World War II because of waves and tides and weather, there were probably only three to four days that they could have executed that, Mm. um, that landing. And so they basically had to pick a day and an intention and work back from that. And then it's about doing only what you can do that will help you be prepared for that outcome. And so the things that they couldn't control were the element of surprise and weather. And in fact, they had to put it off by a day, but it was like, it's making sure that, you know, you had all the boats there, that you had all the support, that you had everything in place to execute on it. And I think that was a really helpful session. And I did it with our mutual friend and my executive coach, Catherine Carruthers. Um, But that was a really great session because I think and I'm thinking about reviving that because I think it restored some agency to people when mm. we've been in this period of feeling like things are happening to us. And so it's like, yeah, maybe no one's going to be hiring, but that doesn't mean your LinkedIn profile can't be up to date or you can't have done you know, a great resume or you can't have 
you know, gotten on the phone with some connections of yours. So it's really saying, yeah, you can't control that ultimate outcome, but you can do some things. So I think that was a really well-received session. And, um, and I think also what worked about it, again, going back to action, is we had people fill out stuff while we were on the call. We gave them mm. some breaks to write. And so they were kind of in a position to actually turn around. I always call it do it Monday. That's a feature we have, but I always call it do it Monday items. What could you turn around for zero cost and, and execute on? And I feel like the mark of good content or good sessions like that is to give people something that they can actually go act on because, you know, we all, you know, sometimes we listen to something and it's interesting, but sort of walking out of there with a paper that was sort of filled out and gave them some, some guide was, was helpful. So I'm thinking of more things like that because I think people are really short of time, especially, um, you know, we're kind of sandwiched on our responsibilities. Many people have older children that they're still, and some younger children that they're still shepherding along. And then they might be on the other side of that caretaking for an older parent. So um, people are squeezed on time. So, you know, how can we give them these bites of things that propel them forward, give them some momentum towards um, doing this? Because what I always tell people about finding their next verse um, or whatever they want to do next, you know, and, and when I say find their next verse, that could be volunteering, that could be pursuing a lifelong dream, that could be another career it doesn't have to be any one of those. But what I always tell people, you know, people always say, I'll think about it like when I'm done doing what I'm doing right now or when I carve out some time. I always tell them like, you're not that person. Like you're not Thoreau. You're not going to the woods. You're not going to figure it out. Like none of us are those people, right? So you need like a little boost and some accountability and you need a way to turn it into action and you need to just point yourself in a direction. And so I can sit here and say two years in on the verse, do I know if it's the thing or will be the thing or what it's going to be when it grows up? I don't, but I know it's on the way to the thing. Right. And that's what keeps me going every day. And so, you know, when people point themselves in a direction, they don't have to be you don't have to be right. You got to take a step. You got to move and, um, you know, you'll figure it out. So it has been amazing hearing about the development of the verse from the beginning to the end and what it's going to become in the future. Um, and so I have a question I ask all my guests at the end of the podcast. Do you have a mantra or some sort of personal manifesto that you try to live your life by? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I might not get it to, to the word, but the JFK quote, which is things don't happen, things are made to happen. Mm. And I very much believe that. And uh, that doesn't mean I'm a Pollyanna and I don't think that things can happen. But, um, you know, anything that I've achieved, I've, I've made it happen. And uh, so I think always reminding myself and again, you see it all over the verse that we can take action. We have agency. We have agency even in, um, you know, the times that it feels like a ton of things are being visited upon us. Mm. We always have choices we can make. We always have actions we can take. And, you know, that's why I, I love reading something like, you know, about Nelson Mandela, right? Or these people or, you know... Um, there was a great book a couple of years ago by was for a long time, wrongly accused. And he made a whole decision that he was going to make an interior world for himself, that he was going to read, that he was going to do all these things. And so I just really live by that, that no matter what you think um, has come your way, and that's not saying bad things don't happen to people, but Anything you want to happen, you got to make it happen. You dropped out when you were talking about that last book. Who was the author and what was the name of the book? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I read a book by a gentleman and I'm not going to recall the name, but he was on death row for 50 years. It was like an Oprah's favorite book. 
and he was wrongly accused and he is since free. But um, he really decided at a certain point that he wasn't going to live every day thinking about this thing that had happened to him. Mm. He was going to have an interior life. He was going to read. He was going to, you know, he made up sweet little fantasies in his head, like about um, that he was married to Halle Berry or something. And, you know, I mean, he just decided that these four walls couldn't hold him. And um, he decided also to have forgiveness in his heart. Mm. And uh, I would argue that if he is enjoying his freedom now, it's because he, he made those decisions. So That's incredible. So, Stephanie, where can people get in touch with you? Where do you want people to engage with the verse? They can follow me, Stephanie Carter, on LinkedIn, or they can follow the verse media on LinkedIn. Uh, ideally, they do both. Um, on Instagram, we're at the verse media. And just please visit our website, especially to see Philip's beautiful work, www.theversemedia.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Um, we really made a decision early on to never engage in any inter intergenerational shade. So I don't care how old you are, you might find something useful. We definitely have our fair share of younger newsletter readers and, um, you know, we just try to share the wisdom. So awesome. Thanks, Stephanie Carter, for joining us and sharing the journey of the verse media. We hope you'll come back and talk to us again soon. Absolutely. If you'd like to help support the Brand Design Masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content, products, courses, and live video shows, head over to philipvandusen.com slash muse and sign up for the Brand Muse newsletter. That's where we share all the latest news, resources, articles, books, and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice, personal brand, and business. That's philipvandusen.com slash muse, M-U-S-E. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.